Amen, amen. Will you say thank you to the band for leading us this morning? There is a little more to that story today uh, than you may know, and uh, as time allows, I may um, tease out a little bit of that. Uh, Say thank you, too, if you would, to Vincent for leading us in prayer there. All right, people, we're going to wake up. It's going to be okay. We're going to come alive. There we go. Cody's in the house. Good, good, good to have you. I want you to imagine for a moment, and I'm not like a superhero movie guy. Um, Forgive me. Um, I have friends, so I don't really watch that stuff, but... You get it? Yeah, I know. Uh, it's a joke. Uh, I'm not a superhero movie guy, but, but imagine for me just for a moment that you've been given a superpower, and it's not like you don't get to pick it um, for the sake of argument. The superpower you have is to be able to enter a room and know everything going on in every person's life in that room. Yeah, I heard, a, I heard a whisper there, no thanks, and, uh, you know, the sentiment. But, but here's the thing. You've been given this superpower, right? And I, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exceed my knowledge of superheroes here in about 13 seconds, so I'm not going to play the analogy out too far. But I want you to imagine, because not all superheroes are given a power they want. They just get the power they get, right? I think, something like that. Um, my wife was given the superpower of mother, and uh, I think there's some days, uh, as a mother of four, that she's like... Um, Anyway, uh, you enter a room and you can read everything going on in everybody's soul, everything in their mind. And I want you to imagine even further for a moment that you entered this room today and uh, this, our small gathering of friends, new friends and old friends alike, and you entered the room and immediately you knew everything going on in everybody's mind and everybody's soul. And then with that knowledge, you engaged in the various practices we engaged with this morning. Maybe for you, you sang. Maybe you prayed. Maybe you read scripture. Maybe you uh, attended to a little one or, or wrote a check or gave cash or prayed a prayer or engaged in a conversation, whatever it was. But you did all of this with full knowledge of everything going on in everyone else's heart and mind. Wouldn't that change just about everything you did? Wouldn't that just change the way you approached the conversation if when you approached said conversation, you knew exactly what was going on? You knew their suspicions. You knew their hurts. You knew their grief. You knew their pain. You knew their joy. You knew what they were celebrating in that moment and what they were sideswiped with in their soul. You knew it all. You felt all of it. And it's with that kind of thinking, not that any of us have that knowledge, uh, but with that kind of thinking that we approach this idea of how in the world do you and I engage the joy of Emmanuel, God with us, if we know what we know. Because here's the reality, you and I, we don't need to know everything going on in the room to know there's plenty to keep us from enjoying Emmanuel, God with us. You enter this room today with cynicism, and maybe you couldn't sing because the words on the screen didn't match what was in your soul, or or maybe you enter this room today with anger over something going on, and you found yourself unable to pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I offer this offering. Maybe you entered this room today in deep grief, asking God, why in the fill in your blank is this happening to me right now? 
And for that reason, just being here is about the best you can do. Maybe you enter this room thinking about the list of gifts you still have to buy and wondering how you're going to pay for them. Or maybe worse yet, how you're going to get them all. You see, it's all these little, uh, if you will, and, and, and the word has been hijacked, but if you will, all these little microaggressions against our own soul that chip away at our ability to enjoy the joy of Emmanuel, God with us. It's why we overshop. It's why we overeat. It's at least part of why we overwork or, or even overexercise. Not a problem for me. Or why we overthink just about everything. And it's not just this reality that God is with us, Emmanuel. It's the kind of God that is with us, Emmanuel. You see, it's one thing if like God is with us and he's like this angry tyrant who's come to judge the world and, you know, separate the good people from the bad people, and right? It's another thing if the Emmanuel, the God with us, is the one the Bible describes who is full of joy and can't wait to be with his people. It's the kind of God that is with us. Look with me at Isaiah 35 if you haven't yet Grab the digital program for today. Do that. I think you'll be glad that you did. Um, Isaiah 35. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 10. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. It's a flower. I looked it up. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. I don't know much more about it than that, but it's a flower. Verse 2, yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy, exclamation point. Punctuation matters. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. And encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. And the lame will leap like deer. And those who cannot speak will sing of joy, exclamation point. Again. Middle of verse 6, springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land, and it will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will lurk along its courses. Sorry, lions will not lurk along its courses, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other danger.
Only the redeemed will walk there. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. If my memory serves, that's the third time in this chapter that word has been mentioned. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. They will be filled with joy and gladness. Hallelujah is right. You see, it's the, the kind of God that is with us that matters more than just the reality that God is with us. The kind of God described here and many other places in Scripture is not like the gods of all the other religions. You see, this God, the God of the Bible, the, the God Isaiah speaks of, is coming to his people, not beckoning his people to him, but he's coming to his people, and his glory will result in joy for his people. Not fear, not destruction, not shame. Those will not be the currencies in which the God of the Bible trades in. He only trades in joy. He only trades in presence. And when he shows up, joy unfolds. Amen? Hallelujah? Good? <laughs> it's decent stuff, I think. We jump to Luke chapter 2, and uh, if you want to jump there, uh, feel free. I begin in verse 8 because we get this kind of foreshadowing in Isaiah 35 and obviously other places as well, but it foreshadows at least in part and in the beginning to this picture of the birth of the incarnate Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Luke chapter 2, I, I begin in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, <clears throat> guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the radiance, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. The glory of the Lord is with you, and fear's power is broken in the presence of the glory of God. Now, it's like the Stu revised version add on there, but um, you, you've got the text in front of you. Don't be afraid, he said, I, I bring you good news that will bring, again, great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Exclamation point. Interesting. And you will recognize him by the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. It goes on in verse 13. Suddenly the angel is joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth. Armies who arrive... And declare peace. Like that's not what armies do. Armies fight, battle, war. Rah! Not in this economy. Anybody remember singing that song? Any of you who grew up in church? I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay. For those who don't know it, you, you really didn't miss that much. But <laughs> at least glad I'm not the only one. There's some Royal Rangers up in this camp, huh? Um, we... Those of us without charismatic backgrounds sing it in Awana, too. Um, and anyway. You see, God's presence casts out fear and brings joy. 
That the kind of God that is Emmanuel, God with us, is the kind of God that casts out fear and brings joy. That this, this is the God of the Bible. This is this Jesus, which for those who struggle to believe in the God of the Bible, I, I approach this tenderly and, and I, I know that you are many and I love you and I'm so honored to journey with you. And I recognize that for those who struggle to believe in the God of the Bible, this makes it all the more difficult, yet all the more intriguing. Because wait a minute, the, the God of the Bible needs to come with a fury, with a, hand, with a firm hand, separate all the bad. And sure, that's true, but it's not going to happen like we think. The army of the Lord comes and it brings peace. I don't really want that. I want my God to come, you know, slay souls, kill my enemies. We'll get to that in a minute. We celebrate the incarnation of Christ. It's Emmanuel, God with us. But as I mentioned moments ago, it's not just that he is with us, but it's the kind of he that is with us. What other God out there casts out fear and brings joy to its people? We, we all struggle in various ways to find security and safety. The kind of security and safety that our broken souls desire to have. And yet, when it's found, when we do achieve some level of safety and security that we thought would give us that confidence, we find it's just quite never enough. You have anybody in your life where there's just never enough in the bank? <laughs> you ever had that? You ever had that conversation? I've had that conversation in a number of different places in my life where I'll ask the question, how much is enough? What's the number? And they look at me like I'm crazy. And I go, no, I mean, just let's just be fair. What's the number? What, how much in the bank would be enough where you would never worry about money again? It's not usually a question that's welcomed. Um, it, it, it is provocative, right, and intended to be that way. You see, here's the reality. Our safety and security is never actually met. It's never, it never rises to the occasion at the level that we think. And, and just about the time we get to the level we think, it's not enough. My dad recently retired in the last couple of years, and he said this interesting thing to me this last week uh, as he's, you know, of retirement age and enjoying retirement, and lots of his friends are also retiring, and he's saying so many of his friends go back to work in the first year or two part-time because they feel that fear rise up that there won't be enough, that they're going to run out of money before they die. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I, yeah, I can see how that would be. Like, I know how much is in my retirement. I can promise you I will run out, right? It is not much. That's why we had four kids, so we could gamble one of them making lots of money, and then Jen and I are going to live with them. <laughs> it's a fascinating thing that it's just never quite enough, right? And furthermore, like our relationship with power and with control has a real similar effect. We think just a little bit more power and control. Just If I could just order my life a little bit more, I'll finally feel okay. And yet we realize that even if we gain that amount of power and control, it's never enough. There's always some wild card out there. 
These are some of the gods of this world that we dance with every day. But the God of creation, the God of the Bible, the the God who is Emmanuel, God with us, arrives and fear, all of its power is broken. It has no place, only joy. Isaiah 35 moves pretty rapidly to our response. And I I guess that seems fitting if I open up a wonderful gift on Christmas morning that my whole family knows I will love and I have no response at all. I just open it. It's like, Dad, is it okay? That is the thing you asked for. That is the thing we know you love. I mean, it would just be weird if there was no response. Like, you get this great gift, it's just natural to have a response. And how many of you, by show of hands, have ever faked said response? Oh, right? There's still some kids in the room, so I won't won't give examples of said gifts in case you've bought them. Like, and we've all bought that gift for a loved one or a spouse or a kid, and, and the minute they open it, they're like, oh, I love it. Oh, it's great. You're like, oh, shoot, missed the mark on that one. Let me find the receipt, right? But maybe, just maybe, you think about this pure joy and your response and it immediately elicits a struggle in you and kind of that whole weight of expectation. Oh, great, one more thing I got to do, right? One more thing I have to respond to. Now I've got to, now I have to be joyful about Jesus. Ah, exhausting. But, But if you feel that, and I get it, you know, I'm here, aren't I? Don't ask me to be joyful too. Verses uh, three for four, uh, three through four, give us a, a really cool insight into the response here. It says, "With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you." I love that sentence. With this news. The beginning of verse 3. With this news. It's a powerful statement. We're invited to be strengtheners, to be encouragers. We're invited to temper fearful hearts with this news. See, we don't all have to be pop psychologists. We don't all have to be counselors. We don't all have to be bright, cheery, joyful people with positivity in their top five. My man. (laughs) It's with this news we strengthen. It's with this news that we encourage. So imagine you're across the table from someone in grief struggling to find the words that would bring any sort of solace or joy. And there seems to be no way. It's with this news you strengthen. Imagine you're beside someone who has worked so hard during this particular season and they're just exhausted and you can feel it in their face and you think, how could I strengthen this loved one? It's with this news we strengthen. 
And when a loved one is exasperated or overwhelmed with the demands on life and there's simply not enough hours in the day or energy in the tank to attend to all the demands, it is with this news that we strengthen and encourage. With this news, we are invited to be agents of joy. Your God, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knew your every thought before it was thunked, is here among us and with you. And after some discussion in Isaiah 34, we get the picture of this glorious presence of God with his people. And it continues on after, after a little sidebar of this whole, I'm going to destroy your enemies. And you're going, okay, Stu, um, come back to that because I'm, I'm in for that. I want my enemies destroyed. We're going to get to it. It may not be what you want, but we're coming back to it. Because we, we, it goes on, it, opening the eyes of the blind and unplugging the ears of the deaf and, and lame leaping like deer. And then chapter 10 closes in in verse 10. Look at that with me, if you will. It'll be on screen. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord. Isaiah 43, a little snap forward. Those who've been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing. Crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. And when we connect this prophetic picture of God with us to the experience of Luke 2 and Christ's birth and and certainly further into Christ's life and teaching and death and resurrection and ascension, we get this overwhelming reminder that the presence of Christ in incarnation is joy. The presence of Christ in prayer will lead us to joy. The presence of Christ in his word will lead us to joy. The presence of Christ over coffee with another will lead to joy. The presence of Christ amidst grief, amidst struggle, even anger and exasperation and loneliness and all-out war-waged depression will lead us to joy. The challenge is to go with this news. This is our challenge, but there, there remains this little uh, side piece we got to deal with, uh, right? Destroying my enemies. And not just because I, I don't want to skip over it, but because I think it stands at the crux. You know, I think about this teeter-totter, and in the middle is this fulcrum that everything pivots off of, and it seems to me that the prophet writes this beautiful poetic word and puts this, I'm going to destroy your enemies, right in the middle of it. Like almost as if it's this poetic fulcrum that it all teeters on. That the destruction of enemies is what all of this announcement teeters on right in the middle. You can't avoid it. You can't skip over verse 1 or leave out verse 10 and hope it's in there. It's right in the middle. God is coming to destroy your enemies, verse 4. And for most of us, our, our enemies have proper names. Go ahead. What's their name? You're thinking of it. It's a coworker. It's a boss. It's a parent. It's a sibling. 
It's an idiot on the freeway who doesn't know how to drive in their Tesla. Tesla. Anybody drive a Tesla? Um, don't raise your hand. Just kidding. I used to get hated on for driving a Prius. I tell you what, man. Our enemies have proper names. It's that political figure. It's that whatever it is. I mean, and, and when we run out of real enemies, we make up fake ones. Bronco fans have Raider fans, right? I mean, we, we love this. Our, our, our life, our soul starves for drama. And so even when there's not enough drama, we create our own. We have a team that we're a rival with. We have a city that we, oh, you know what? I, uh, th- there's this new uprising on the internet that everybody hates Ohio. Like, Something about, now if you've been to Ohio, it's like, oh, that checks out. But there's like this, this thing that we just love to have this thing we're against. We love to have a rivalry. And I know I'm starting to get really, really close to um, troubled waters. I'm not going there, friends. It's Christmas. Joy. But let me uh, just point out what may already be obvious to you about your enemy, about that proper named enemy. They're not your enemy. <laughs> like, we kind of know that. We know who, whatever that name was that came to your mind first. Please don't say it out loud. Uh, we're going to have you, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I was going to say, we're going to have you write it down later and then confess it up here. That, that name, that enemy, that person that really gets you going or drives you crazy or makes you angry or sad or lonely or whatever. They're not your enemy. Know that the real enemy is fear. It says it right in the text, right? That fear will be cast out. It's that person, that character, that ideology, that car on the freeway that cut you off represents a a taking from you of what you believe to be yours. They represent fear. They represent the deserted land Isaiah 35 talks about. It represents the unredeemed power in your life. So when that boss, that neighbor, that parent comes to you and and they, you know, in your heart and head, they're not the enemy, uh, but fear is, they represent all that that is. I had a dead sprinkler in my yard for a year that I could not figure out where the leak was. And so I just turned down my timer on that sprinkler. The shortest on my old timer, you can make it is 60 seconds. So I just set that sprinkler to go off for 60 seconds each day. So I couldn't find the hole. I couldn't find the problem. Well, here's the problem with that. Everything that that sprinkler was supposed to be watering died. So I had like this circle of death. And then it was just leaking down my driveway into the thing, and then the neighbor came over and complained and told me, hey, I'm going to call somebody on you if you don't get this thing fixed because you're wasting water. And everything in me bubbled up, and I just wanted to murder this neighbor. Like, you know, because all I could think is I feel, I feel insecure. I should have been able to fix it, and I can't. I felt all the waste of time. I felt called out. I felt uh, just all the ickiness, right? But it was all directed at my evil neighbor. And boy, I mean, I didn't, like, scream and yell at the neighbor, but I wasn't awesome. To the neighbor. Like, we didn't swap our favorite Bible verses in that conversation and then pray prayers of blessing and joy over one another. But my neighbor, right? My neighbor's not the enemy. Your neighbor's not the enemy. Your boss isn't the enemy. Your spouse, your ex spouse, your parent, your kid. 
See, the, the real danger you face in this life that stands in the way of the joy of Emmanuel, God with us, is the deserted land where the presence of Jesus has not been welcomed in your soul. The unredeemed space where fear gets to live and have her reign in you. And all of that enemy lives in you and lives in me, it lives in us, even as a church. Beowulf is an ancient poem, uh, over 3,000 lines long. I don't quite know why it's called a poem. Uh, it, it feels more, you know, I mean, that's a lot of reading for a guy like me. 3,000 lines is quite a bit. Uh, but it's a, an amazing story and, uh, and a beautiful one as well. Basically, the crux of the story, and, and it's complicated and multi-layered, so if we've got any English majors out there, get, give me a little bit of breadth here or uh, a wide berth. But the crux of the story, at least for the sake of my illustration <laughs> and my understanding and the way it's impacted me, is this, that you, you've got Beowulf who faces a great enemy in Grendel. Uh, Grendel cannot handle the sound of joy. And so Grendel goes on killing everything that emits the sound of joy. And Beowulf gets enlisted by the king to go kill Grendel. Because Grendel's killing joy, we must kill Grendel. And so Beowulf does. He goes, he battles Grendel. I think there's four battles in the poem, if I'm not mistaken, or if I'm, not, if I'm remembering it right. Uh, and he kills Grendel. And then a couple other battles happen, and Beowulf is victorious and kills these various enemies beginning with the enemy of joy. So much so that Beowulf ends up becoming the king and then battling a dragon and ends up mortally wounded battling this evil dragon and dies himself. And you're left with the question at the end of the poem, or at least I'm left with the question at the end of the poem, uh, who was the enemy of joy? <laughs> was it Grendel? Was it Beowulf? Did Beowulf become the enemy of joy? Because Beowulf eventually had to die too because Beowulf became king with all his power and all his fame and all his safety and security, but he went on killing even after he got all that he desired. At least part of the conclusion of the poem is that enemy lives in us all. That we are Beowulf and Beowulf is us. I know it's hard to imagine for some. I know it's hard to remind ourselves, but you are and I am the enemy of joy for someone in our life. You are and I am the one who walks in a room and kills joy for someone else. Maybe not many people. Maybe not all the time. But there, there's a thing that we bring to a room. It's, it's our relationship with fear. It's our relationship with power. It's our relationship with the desolated places. It's, it's the unredeemed portions of our soul, the, the malformed sections of who we become, that we enter a room where Emmanuel, God, is with us, and we have a way of killing joy. We are Beowulf. And the invitation of Jesus, the invitation of Isaiah in Isaiah 35 is to let Jesus be present. To let his joy overcome the room. To let his joy 
control this situation. It's all the little spaces of the human soul where fear is allowed to bloom. It's the little space where desertion is allowed to happen. It's all the hidden spaces of your heart and mine where hate has been given space to breathe. And so, in those places, if we will go with the news that Jesus is coming to that space and that he's going to redeem it and it will no longer work for fear or desertion. We say to those spaces of our soul, the spaces that cause us to overeat or overwork or overworry or overthink or over whatever, we say to those spaces, I'm coming with the news of Jesus. To my doubts, I'm coming with the news of Jesus. To my insecurity, I'm coming with the news of Jesus. To my need to be the center of attention, I'm coming with the news of Jesus. The news of Jesus. And Isaiah finishes, Isaiah 35, with this beautiful verse 10. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing and crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. May you, may we be a people filled with joy and gladness because we have arrived with the news that Jesus is in town. Pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, may the news of Jesus be what we bring to every situation. May your goodness reign in our hearts. May your salvation be forever on our lips. May the spaces of our own soul that have not been surrendered to the beautiful way of Jesus be laid down. And may we say to those, I come with the news of Jesus, the news of great joy for all of the poor. Emmanuel, God with us. And for this, we give you thanks, Jesus. And we pray it in your crucified and risen name. Amen. The band's going to lead us in a closing song here, and I just want to offer briefly a few next steps. Uh, At least for me, I I don't know about you, I read these things, I hear these things, and I go, that's lovely and beautiful. Okay, I'd like to be that kind of person. Well, I don't know how to get there. I've been praying really hard, and it doesn't just happen, right? A couple next steps. One, call it out. Uh, When fear is winning your thoughts, call it out. Oh, that's fear. Fear is winning the thought game right now. That's fear. Just begin by calling it out. Where's anger or hatred or owning a corner of your soul? Ooh, I feel that anger bubble up again. Well, I'm really angry about that still. I Maybe begin to keep a journal and write it down. Write down at the end of each day, uh, this beautiful little Ignatius examine where at the end of each day you say, where did fear win the day today? Where did anger have its way? Where did I desert the way of Jesus this day? And then add to that, where did Jesus win the day today? Where did signs of life and the the light of Advent shine through in my day? And write those down. You do that for two weeks, and I'm telling you, you will watch the scales tip. It will happen that quickly. Now, it's a lifelong journey to keep it moving that direction. But I'm telling you, friends, in two weeks, we'll see those scales tip towards joy. So call it out first. Second, invite Christ's presence. Say things like, God, only your presence can conquer this. 
I've been living this way for so long that only your presence will conquer this. Only the power of your spirit can pierce this and rewrite the story of my soul. Because I, I've been doing this for a long, long time. Invite his presence. Maybe a prayer that would be helpful to you is, God, only your goodness can shine light on this darkness. Because we just can't white knuckle it. We just can't muscle through sometimes. So call it out, invite Christ's presence. And finally, walk in redemption. Walk as a restored and redeemed people, even when you don't feel restored or redeemed. Maybe a helpful practice would be to read Matthew's account of Jesus' masterful Sermon on the Mount, which was a thesis for the Christian way. Matthew 5, chapters 5 through chapter 7 gives you a two-chapter thesis on the Christian way. This is the way of Jesus. Read that through. And uh, read it every day for a couple of weeks. And just read up until the point where you get stopped on a word or sentence and don't read any further. Just write where you get stopped. And then wherever you get stopped, go, okay, well, I'm going to attend to that today. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn? I don't mourn at all. I just, people are dead to me. I just move on. Okay, maybe stop there. You feel me? Just you, And just every, every day for two weeks, just read Matthew 5 through 7 until you get stopped and then attend to that thing all day long. And then finally, friends, live it out. With the Spirit's help, speak it out. The light of His presence is among us and with us. And may you experience His joy this Christmas season. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's worship.